0: Let's look to the Lord's Word this morning. Let's open our Bibles to Hebrews, the 6th chapter. Begin reading this morning in chapter 6 and verse 9. Would you follow along as I read? But, beloved... We are confident of better things concerning you, yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? Father God, prepare our hearts. Lord Jesus, guide our way. Allow us, Holy Spirit, To attain to the knowledge of your word, even unto the mature man. We would stand before you not as babes, Lord, needing remonstration, needing correction. We would like to stand before you as mature adults in Christ who are learning another step in the path of your way. Teach us, O Lord. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have allowed us to be here to hear your word. We pray to be able to use it rightly. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Overall, we're looking to go on to maturity. To go on to maturity, even as Christ learned in his humanity... He had to learn to follow the Lord, his God, even to the saying of thy will be done. He started as a child and went through adulthood. And Hebrews even outlines that for us, and I need not take the time for that, but in the previous chapter, it is there. In chapter 2, his learning is there of Hebrews as well. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer admonishes the immaturity of these Hebrew believers, saying that by now they should be teachers. They should be teaching the word that they are having to be retaught to them in the most elementary fashion. Following that, there is a warning of those who have walked along knowing the truth have never followed the truth and have fallen away from the church and from Jesus Christ. We are now answering the question in verses 9 through 12, and actually 9 through 20, over these next few weeks, we will continue to answer this question, am I saved? Am I part of the believing family? Or am I part of this fallen away group that we've studied in the first portion of chapter 6? We see that there needs to be a real understanding of this if you are going to progress to maturity. If in your Christian walk you are always doubtful as to your status before God, am I saved or am I not? Am I falling out of salvation or coming back in? And is, it, is that something that's a reality? You can fall out, fall in, fall in, fall out. Is it like the little lover who has the daisy in their hand and they hope that that person loves them and they take the daisy and they start by pulling off the petals, he loves me, he loves me not, he loves me, he loves me not. And they hope that they will get to the last petal and it will be a he loves me, but they're not sure. So, when someone asks you, are you saved, it is our hope that you will come to a better answer than, I hope so, but that I know so. And I believe the Bible teaches us we can know so. I think it teaches us that clearly. But if you never learn this, you will remain immature all your life in Christ. You will be subject to those who take in the immature, the babies in Christ, and lead them down wrong paths of teaching. Because you will always be looking for the next new thing to prove to you you're saved. But let me tell you, the new things don't teach that. The old truth of the Bible teaches that. And you must then have a mature understanding that you are saved or not. And from that position you can grow up, or you can get saved, or walk away. But the saved stay. A mature accounting of Christian assurance of salvation is what we have set for us as a task. We said we were going to look through it through two different lenses, the first lens being as an accountant. As an accountant who counts the facts, counts the real things, the real income, the real outflow, what is in your life and what comes out of your life, just the facts. Then we're also going to look at it in the prism, if you will, the lens of a historical chronicle. For as you live, Christian, you are living history. You are historical. Some of you know that a little bit more than others. You can see your own history. Some of it's long and some of it's short, but you've got a history and you're living it. There is a history for you as a Christian as well. What is your Christian life composed of? And when I look at it, does it measure with the description of a Christian or of one who falls away? In verse 9, we read again, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, better than those who fell away. Yes, listen, things that accompany salvation. So we're going to take an accounting of those things that accompany salvation. See, if you get saved, it's not like, I'm saved, but I'm exactly the same as I used to be. Well, that wouldn't be a new birth, would it? That wouldn't be a new way. That wouldn't be the new path. So, when you are saved, there is something that changes, and the accounting begins, and the history begins, and you can measure it if you are biblical and mature. There are many who will lead you in opposite ways. I suggest sticking with the Bible. So, first we're going to look at one of the three biggies the unflagging diligence that accompanies salvation. Unflagging diligence in works of salvation. Over the next few weeks, we'll look at the unchangeable confidence we are to have and the unmovable reliance. Last week, we started the unflagging diligence in work of salvation, and there are five unflagging works of salvation. Unflagging means tireless. The Christians never tire of doing these things. And the first is this, work. We looked at that last week. Number one, works offered in his name. For God is not unjust, verse 10, to forget your work. We are workers. Say, why was I saved? I was saved to work. By the way, why was man created? Adam, here's your garden. Here's what you're going to do. Keep and fit the garden. Man was created to do work for God. It is work that is offered toward God in his name. And God is not unjust to forget what you do, and so you need not either. If you have works done to his name as a Christian, God has not forgotten a single one of them. Even if you have failed for a moment, the history of your works remains with God and he is ready to reward you in that day. Disciplining myself in a mature manner, I move on in my synopsis to the second unflagging offering of diligence, love offered toward his name. For God is not unjust, verse 10, to forget your work and love which you have shown toward his name, both of which are done toward God. God cares about his name, and Christians care about the name of God. Even in the Ten Commandments and even those truths that we read, even Jesus was saying, there's no God before this one God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And then you can love your neighbor as yourself. A love toward God first, then bleeds into others. But no love for God. There's no true love for others. It will be a selfish, self-seeking love. But in Christ, in the new birth, the evidence and the historical track of your life will be one of increasing love offerings toward the saints, notice, which is your third point, and toward the world, the ministry to the saints that you've shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. See, the past past history, you have ministered to them, and presently you are ministering to them in an ongoing way. And that leads us to the fourth of these five unflagging works that are evidence, that are the accountings of someone who is truly saved, things that accompany your salvation. Number four in your notes now, new study, assurance of hope that is persistent, verse 11. Assurance of hope that is persistence, persistent. Look at verse 11. The writer says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to, or if you will, unto the full assurance of hope until the end. Diligence is a work, and to show it, that you show it, that it's evident have you ever done a project, man in the house, that your wife really wanted done? And when you get done, you in your humility walk away, put the tools away, and never mention it to anyone. Or do you rather, like I sometimes do, having rewired the kitchen and put in all new lights over the counters just so so when she cooks those fine meals my beloved vicky will have light and as soon as that was done of course i said hey vic come look at this and when she came in i'm by the switch lights on lights off. lights on lights off not only that look at this other zone lights on lights off I'm showing what I've done. There is a reality that we're showing what we're doing with regard to what we hope. It's a diligence that has to be maintained unto full assurance. Show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end. I bring you to 1 Thessalonians and the writings of the Apostle Paul when Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy went to this city of Thessalonica. And we read there in this first chapter, verse 5. And we read, For our gospel did not come to you in word only. So when Paul and Timothy and Silvanus... Came to this place and brought the gospel, it says, our our gospel did not come to you in word only. We didn't just say the words of Jesus. We didn't just tell about the cross only, but it came, listen, in power and in the Holy Spirit. Now pay attention right here and zero in, and in much assurance. Both those giving the message and those hearing it were aware, were being shown what the gospel contained and its power that is inherent in the Holy Spirit that is behind it, and in the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives that this indeed is true. And then he goes on to say, and listen at what he wants them to notice. He is showing them what is walking with their salvation. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Paul wants them to remember their historical chronicle and an accounting of how they lived while they brought the gospel to Thessalonica. What kind of men were they? If you're in 1 Thessalonians, turn to chapter 2. In verse 1, it says, For you yourselves know brethren. How do we know where he's talking to believers? He calls them brethren. For you yourselves know, brethren, what are, that are coming to you was not in vain. It was not in vain. It was not for nothing. It was not empty. And then from there, I wish I could read more there, but I must skip down to verse 8. And here we have a historical chronicle of saved men who are assured of the gospel and are walking in hope what they are like. Verse 8, he says, so affectionately longing for you, love shown in his name. Now listen to the ministering to the saints. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but listen, but our own lives because you had become dear to us. It is the most amazing thing in the world to be a part of the family of God that he has made that when you find a new brother or sister that you've never known before, and you meet them and you start talking about Jesus, and you find that you share that fellowship, all of a sudden, something happens. You have a bond. Your bond isn't that you've known them since you were a child. Your bond isn't necessarily that you've known them in school or at work or anything else. You know them in Christ. That they are one of His and you are one of His and you are now together. And you are willing then, because of that, to spend your life on them. One of the problems in the Church of the United States of America today is a lack of commitment to to that love and to one another. Paul says, we came unto you and we're willing to even give our whole lives to you. And even he lit us and categorizes some of the sufferings that they'd had before just to get there. In verse 2 of chapter 2 of Thessalonians, it says, But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Even though we have been thrown out of the best Greek cities in the world, we are not quitting. We have much assurance. And we are seeing the power of God, and we're going to keep on loving you. Is that a song from the 70s? And I keep on loving you? Well, the world cannot actually do that. But Christians do. You know what kind of people we were among you. Verse uh, 9 of chapter 2 of Thessalonians, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. We didn't even take money. We earned our own money. We paid our own way. We offered it to you. That's a track record. These are not charlatans who have come to sell the gospel as some hucksters do and pass the hat and make as much as they can and get out of town as soon as they can before the work begins. You know, there's a problem with this revival stuff that used to go on and even does, and one even came through our town not long ago, is that they come and they say a lot of stuff, and then they leave. The work begins when someone believes. They must be discipled or you've done half the gospel. Go into all the world, teach them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things which I have commanded you. Mature the babies that just were born. But they leave them howling in the streets to be picked up by the wolves and devoured. This must not go on. The church is different. Paul stayed even under the threat of death and they labored night and day and paid their own way. Verse 10, you are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And that means they were soft as silk. No, listen. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. Yes, we were comforted but we're also charging, maturing. Assurance that is persistent keeps on serving the Lord and that becomes evidence of real salvation. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope until the end. Persistence it means to go on resolutely. If you persist, you go on resolutely or stubbornly in spite of opposition, importunity, or even under warning. The Apostle Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy were nothing but persistent, they never, ever quit. They persisted in what they believed. But how does one persist, hopefully, to the end? To the end's the key, see? Some last a little while. Some last a little longer. Real believers last to the end. Hence the parable of the sower and the seeds, Three types of seeds went out, fell on various types of ground, and had short-lived lives, if you will. Those are the unbelieving, who even seem to walk with the church. And then there are some who produce. Some 30, some 60, and some a hundredfold. That's how we know they are believers, as opposed to the falling-away ones of Hebrews 6. Those who drink in the rain that often comes upon it and bear thorns, briars, and are rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. That's the difference. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1, we see how to gain persistence, to keep on going firmly to the end. Paul says this, chapter 2, verse 1 of Colossians, For I want you to know, Paul wants them to know, what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul's hope and desire in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, Listen to now, the Christian fellowship, being knit together in love. You know, that's like one of those Afghan things, being knit together in love. Did you know that I, your pastor, have a blankie? And it's an Afghan. My grandmother, who lived in Glasgow, Montana, by the way, grandma Chisholm, knitted an Afghan for every single one of her grandchildren, and then one day she brought us all together, and they got to cho- we got to choose by age. Youngest to oldest. My two older sisters weren't there, so I was the oldest, and I waited till last, and I got the perfect Afghan. And in the winter, when Pastor goes home after preaching and being with you, I go in and I open up. This cedar chest of Vicki's right on top is my boinky. is my afghan, and it is composed of all of these different threads of yarn, different colors, different patterns put together and it kind of stretches. I love that about it, especially because now it really doesn't fit. So I can stretch it. And that's like the church. Knit together in love. All these different threads of yarn. Different patterns. Different colors. It stretches, but it always comes back together. i got to go on or I'll preach that. Knit together in love and attaining to all the riches. Listen. And attaining to all the riches of the full assurance Of understanding let me say it this way there is no assurance without understanding but you attain to assurance with understanding Paul's hope for them is this even the ones who have never seen him never got to hear him preach never saw his face I want you to know and come to the riches of full assurance to be rich who wants to be rich I've asked the question: Are you saved? You know, it, it, would that would that even be equal to the? Have you won the lottery? Do you want to let win the lottery? Is that your goal? Some of you are saying, "Man, I hope Pastor didn't watch me last week. The Powerball was up to that. I was in there, man. What do you got cameras there, Pastor?" No, but God does. I'm just saying that's another sermon, not today. assurance, not in money, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, and in your own salvation comes through understanding, the full assurance of understanding, listen, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. There is a persistence that is needed, Christian, to keep growing and keep learning until the End. it is not a part of Christianity to say, well, I've done my bit. I'm finished. I've learned my stuff. Don't trouble me with any more of that deep doctrine. I know Jesus died for me. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. No, it isn't. Why did he die? Who sent him to die? Why did he want to die? Why would he die for you? If you don't know why he died for you, you will doubt your salvation. Beloved, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. And that's one to know you are loved by God more than you ever loved him or ever will. That becomes a mature hope that is persistent. I must move on. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 4, we read, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Your love for all the saints, listen, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. How can you love pastor when pastor isn't lovable? How can you love your husband when your husband isn't lovable? Don't say amen yet. How can you love your wife when your wife isn't lovable? How can you love your kids when your kids aren't lovable? Kids, how do you love your mom and dad when they're not lovable? How do you love all your brothers and sisters around you when they're not lovable? And your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Because of that. An unmerited treasure trove waiting in heaven for you. Which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel isn't just that you can avoid hell. Believe in Jesus Christ and not go to hell. It's believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and have an inheritance and in heaven reserved for you that cannot be destroyed. And so you live today, you work today, you love today, you minister today, you hope today because of tomorrow. How many people have spent how much on the Powerball in hope? And what do they got? You know that million, million, many billion they give away came from somewhere. Hopeful fools who gave dollar after dollar after dollar hoping to win. In Christ we give no dollars. We give no works. We give... No abilities. He loves us and lays it upon us. He draws us to his son. He grants us belief in him. And no one can take us out of his hand and there's an inheritance reserved in heaven for you. Why don't we live in hope like the Powerball people do? They tell you about it all the time. Amen? Are you saying, I don't need that. I've got an inheritance in heaven. Go ahead, spend your $5 on that. You know what? I, I don't even have to scratch off mine. It already says what I want. I already have it. Reserved in heaven. And to the end, I will hope in that. I will be persistent in that. I will not be denied in that. Colossians one twenty three. if indeed you continue in the faith grounded steadfast can we say persistent and are not a moved and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven which I Paul became a minister are you saved Do you have a persistent hope? An assurance in the future hope that you just can't stop hoping in? Do you believe that you believe that you believe that you know that you know that you know that that's true? Say amen. Try better at that. If you believe it, believe, believe, and hope they hope they hope, and know that you know that you know that there's a inheritance. In heaven, a hope for you. Say amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Number five. The fifth unflagging work to proceed in diligence. Faith and patience in the inheritance. And here we go. It begins in verse 12 with a bit of admonishment that you do not become sluggish. Christian, that you do not become sluggish. Nothros. Means to be slow. Here's a good word. Indolent. Dull. Languid. We have seen this word before in Hebrews chapter 5 and the admonishment there of two immature believers, these Hebrews, who should by now be teachers. We saw it here, verse 11 of chapter 5, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you become dull, you become sluggish in your hearing. Now, I love the word sluggish because at the root of it is that creature known as the slug. Now, God's made a lot of creatures. And slugs have got to be kind of low on the list of the nice ones. Even as they move along, they leave a slug trail. But you know what? If you're going to spend your day watching a slug, have a nice time. You must have nothing to do. The slow traverse of the slug. Creeping along in its slimy way, doing whatever slugs do which is bad. Slow. If a slug was to start a rock and roll band and call it, say, Doug and the Slugs, you know what their entire album would be filled with? Slow dances. That's for free. You maybe should charge me for that one. But it seems like Christians can fall into that after a while, isn't it? They become sluggish. When at first they started to go and they were ready, you know, they were going to play the fast songs. They were going to get up to speed. They never quite got their fingers going. They never quite got that way on the drums. And so they, well, you know, perhaps I'm not designed for high-speed Christian living. I'm just one of the slow ones. Or maybe I'm older now and I just need to slow down. You know, I talked to a guy on the phone today, or on the phone this week, I should say. My name is Al Potter down at Shepherds Seminary in North Carolina. And as we were talking, we started doing that thing that Christians do, tracing Christian contacts. And I started sharing with him. I said, well, my mentor, Pastor Lynn Howe in Westside Baptist Church, used to say and taught me about the centrality of the local church. We're talking about church planting. He says, I know Lynn. We went to Pillsbury together. Went to Pillsbury Bible College together. I said, yeah, was there Doug Bookman? He said, oh, yeah, Doug Bookman and I were all there. We're all there, and he says, oh, it's just so great, so great you call me. I like to hear what you have to say about these things. And he said, you know, it's just so exciting to hear what you guys are doing up there. And I told him about two young men that are maybe being raised up, and maybe we'll do some church planting, but we need to get them trained. He says, that's so exciting. And I told him how many bulletins I printed last week, and I rejoiced about it. Because it's double what I used to print a year and a half ago. He says, you know, I'm much more comfortable in a church your size than a church this size down here. He says, I've planted and been part of planting 27 churches. 27 churches. He's my mentor's age. He's still teaching the church planters. He's teaching pastoral ministries. He's in his late 70s. He's not sluggish. When you talk to him, you think you're talking to a young man. He's full of the drive and the energy, and he wants to be part. They think they might even be able to partner with us, helping young men get prepared to plant churches. And I mean financially as well as scholastically. Now that's exciting. He has not become dull. He is not crawling along like Doug and the slugs. He's rocking out, baby. Okay, that's it. I'm done with that. (laughs) You do not become sluggish, but imitate those. Listen, imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Those who faithfully go on like this man I talked to, like my mentor, Pastor Howe, who still serves, who still teaches through the difficulty. They become quick to hear and to act by faith. What a joy. What an amazing thing. Because they're hoping in something. Through faith and patience, they inherit the promises. What promises are we talking about? We know there's an inheritance, but you know, like, what's in it? Okay, there's a box that's got treasure in it, and what do you want to do? Lift the lid. See what's inside. And if you don't know what's inside, you can't be patient for it. You can't keep hoping in it. You can't keep having faith in it. You can know. Did you know you can know what's in it? There are certain limitations. But here's something Jesus said to some people who didn't have faith and didn't believe in the resurrection. There are some Sadducees who, by the way, do not believe in the physical bodily resurrection of the saints of God, of all who believe. And so they, like all Sadducees, being the elitists, the erudite that they are, those who are in the ivory towers of teaching in Jerusalem came to him with a theological question. (laughs) Jesus, we got one for you. Moses said that if a man should die before his wife and he have children, that his brother is to marry his wife and produced children with her. So there was a man who had a wife and he died and they were childless. And so her brother married her and he died. And then the third brother married her and he died It's still childless. And the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and on to the seventh. All had married her. None had children with her. And they said, So tell us, Jesus, in the resurrection, Whose wife shall she be? We got him now. We got him now, the Sadducees said. But listen to Jesus' answer Matthew 22, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken. You are mistaken. He gives them a mature answer. You are mistaken not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So you don't know what God said, nor do you know what God can do. You're denying what God actually said He could do and what God will do. For in the resurrection, Jesus said, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. Keyword: like angels. You're not angels. Like angels in heaven with regard to marriage. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, Jesus said, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So Abraham's not dead? No. So Isaac's not dead? No. So Jacob's not dead? No. They will be resurrected, and they are alive. He is not a God of dead people. So if you are His and you are God's, then you will never be what? A dead person. Your body may die, but there's a resurrection, a bodily resurrection. Everybody who's over the age of 50, say amen. Those who are under the age of 50 and need it too, say amen. Well, not as many, but see how much more zeal there is after 50? I'm just saying. What are you hoping, brother and sister? What are you living on? Is your tank empty? Can you not see? Can you not see the treasures of eternal life? Can you not see, as John said in 1 John, therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning? Do you remember what you heard in the beginning? If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. Now listen, pay attention. And this is the promise that he has promised us. What? Eternal life. You'll never die. He who believes in me, Jesus said, shall never die. What is man's greatest fear? Death, God has broken death and hell. Jesus has defeated them, nailing them to the cross along with your sins. Where at the end shall we be? Unto the end, what end? I take hope from a group of people who will come to belief in Jesus Christ during the tribulation. There will be people who go into the tribulation not believing in Jesus Christ, but through the testimony of the 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe of Israel, and the two witnesses shall come to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they, and they, many of them, will be martyred. They will die on earth. They will not take the mark of the beast and be persecuted. Revelation 14 speaks of things better. Things that are of assurance. Things that accompany salvation. Things that prove their hope is persistent in the inheritance to come. Revelation 14. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, "Write. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Did you hear that? Blessed, happy, rewarded. Blessed are those who are the dead who die in the Lord from now on till the end of the tribulation. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest. Listen, that they may rest from their labors. God is not unjust to forget your work and your labors of love. Yes, says the Spirit back in Revelation 14, 13, that they may rest from their labors. Listen, and their works do what? And their works do what? Follow them! What's your chronicle? What's your accountant? What does your accountant say about you? Are you in the red? Are you in the black? And accountants never lie. Well, not much. But when we account ourselves here with work shown to his name, love shown to his name, ministry to the saints in his name, an assurance of hope, To the end, faith and patience waiting for that inheritance of eternal life to unfold. That's a history. That is one of three ways you know you are saved, so you don't have to say, I hope so. You'll be able to say, I know so. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for this truth. Let us lay hold of it fast and hard. Let us count on it. Let us live on it. Let us work and let us love and let us minister and let us hope and let us be ready for eternal life and live in such a way that all see it. Please, Lord God, That we would be assured in our salvation and mature in assessing where we stand with you. We ask this in Jesus' name alone. Amen.